Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This morning we will uh, share communion together as a church family, but before we do that, we want to take time to look at the Word. If I were to ask you, what is your most memorable or meaningful gift that you've ever received? Now, before you say it, you super spiritual people, (laughs) besides Jesus, salvation, right? I remember, and I believe it was probably around 1972, I wanted, and I've told this story before, I wanted a yellow 10-speed Schwinn bicycle. And I remember 1972, roughly, I believe the cost was about $120. Now, in today's money, that could be 300 ish or over, right? And that was a lot of money for, for my family, for my dad. And I wanted that thing so bad I could taste it. I could taste the yellow paint. I mean, I just wanted, you know, I wanted that. It had to be a Schwinn, you know, not Schwann, the Kmart version or whatever, you know. I, you know, it had to be that. And that, and my dad, he really loved to torture his children because he would ride up until, you know, I just, I just kept, you know, I, I understood he was, he was my Santa and, uh, but he just loved dropping little hints of, well, you know, you, you said you kind of wanted this. Want, you know, he just was like, he loved to linger and put a lot of doubt. But I knew that that was, even when I saw it in the store, you know, he was like, whoa, that's, that's, a, that's, a, big, that's a big expense. That's a big gift. So, so right up until the day of Christmas, I wasn't sure. And I pretty much had discounted I was ever going to see that yellow 10-speed. But I remember Christmas morning, when I went in the living room, there it was. And man, I never will forget that. That was a great gift. And you know, one of the reasons why it made it special is because I knew, I mean, we were blue collar, maybe ring around the collar, I don't know. Uh, we were, you know, working class family, and that was a lot of money for my dad. Even today, you know, your, your child says, hey, I wanted to buy this video thing, and it's three or $400. You're like, yeah, we'll start saving. I'll help you. You know, that's a lot of money. But that became special partly because of thinking back now of the sacrifice that went into that purchase or something that I wanted. You know, when something is given and there's a sacrifice behind it, it makes, I mean, the gift is great, but really the, the heart and what was done by that person that was expressing their love in a sacrificial way, really is, as we get a little more mature in our, from childhood, that becomes the, the real gift that we were blessed with. Well, in John chapter 12 this morning, we're going to find a gift that is given of great significance. And just to kind of set the table a little bit, uh, background, remember in chapter 11, Jesus uh, came and interrupted a funeral after four days, and in, in the interruption of that funeral, uh, we read the story and talked about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And at the end of chapter 11, uh, we're going to look at chapter 12, 
You would think that was a pretty significant event, that people would be all jazzed and charged up about following Jesus. But what you find at the end of chapter 11, and these, uh, we'll just read it, just kind of set the context a little bit for chapter 12. It says in verse 45 of John 11, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. You see a man raised from the dead? You got our attention. Verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees. They're the kind of the one of the religious, uh, uh, we would say, denominations today, and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests in verse 47 and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man works many signs? And as we've kind of traveled through John, we come, we're coming well into the place where now the plot thickens and the threat of Jesus to these religious folks is starting to really come apart at the seams. And then verse 53, it says, then from that day on, they plotted, planned out how they were going to put him to death. And that brings us to chapter 12, and this morning I want us to look at verses 1 through 11, and just for continuity, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. You can trust that you brought your Bibles, uh, and you have a listener's guide in your bulletin that'll help you uh, get more out of the message and make the investment uh, worth your while being here this morning, opening up the Word. But I want us to look at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and that's kind of the backdrop to give you a little sense of the tension that is going on around Jesus. And now, within less than a month, even within weeks, uh, Jesus would be arrested and crucified. And so we pick it up in chapter 12, verse 1. Then, six days after the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who, who uh, was who had been dead, notice past tense, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and there they made him, Jesus, a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now imagine that. Lazarus, what was he doing in the previous days? He was dead. And now what is he doing? He's sitting at the table getting ready to uh, enjoy this dinner. Can you imagine what the conversation about that table uh, was like talking to Lazarus? Can you imagine what questions other people might have had? And so it says, verse 3, then Mary, that's the setting at the home there, and Martha has prepared a meal, and many people are gathered. Then Mary, verse 3, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Uh, you essential oil people, you can probably be familiar with that. You're, you can buy that. It's an imported, it's still relatively expensive, comes from a uh, Jadamansi uh, flower that is grown in the wild in the Himalayas, so it still is a little pricey, but that's the kind of oil, and if you want to get some, uh, I'm sure there's people here that will help you out. Um, so she took a pound of that very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil." But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
This he said, John kind of inserts verse 6 as a little commentary. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, verse 7, let her alone, leave her alone. She was kept, she has kept this for the day of my burial. She has kept this expensive anointing oil for the day of my burial. Verse 8, for the poor you always, uh, you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. I'd want to see Lazarus too. But the chief priests, now this is, this is crazy. This shows you how messed up they are. Look at verse 10. Here's a man raised from the dead, and what do these guys want to do? They want, him put him, they want to put him back to dead. Are you with me? I mean, why? There's nothing more troublesome for your movement than have a dead man out talking about how the man you, can't, you, you hate is raised him from the dead. So what are they going to do? They're going to figure out a way to kill Lazarus again or put him to death again. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, on account of him, verse 11, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. You bet. You bet they did. was dead for four days. His body, the Bible says, was decaying. It began to stench, and Jesus called forth Lazarus, and what a witness Lazarus was. Let's pray before we look at this passage this morning, before we take communion. Father, we just bless you today. Thank you for your holy word. Lord, thank you that the word of God is your voice, your will into our life. Lord, everything that we could know, Lord, and understand through your spirit, God, you've revealed in your scriptures. Help us today. God, to mine the gold that is here in chapter 12 in these 11 verses to help us to, Lord, reflect on our own way that we respond in grace and gratitude to you, Jesus, as our Savior. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me this morning at four important key observations at the significance of what Mary gave to Jesus. Four things. Number one, Mary's gift is a picture of extravagant love. Mary's gift is a picture of extravagant love. The gift amounted to what it would have been a Roman pound, uh, that converted to between 11 and 12 ounces, roughly the size of a can of soda, was the weight of the amount of oil. Verse 3, uh, beyond the screen, it says it was very costly. Your version might say it was expensive. Uh, to give you an idea, in verse 5, you can see that in your Bible, uh, it says it was 300, 300 denarii. Now, a denarii, one denarii, one denarius was equal to a day's wage for the average worker. This scripture says that that oil was the equivalent of 300 days of wages, about almost a year's worth of salary. 
Pretty expensive, isn't it? Wasn't just some little sampler. Hello? One little sampler. Uh, she didn't rub it on her, you know, on her, uh, you know, hands or whatever. The Bible says that she poured out in an extravagant way. And the reason that is so significant is because what Mary reminds us by this act of extravagant love is that Jesus is worth giving it all to. And what a conviction it should be in our life for our, I'm talking about to Christians, for our spiritually stinginess that we have. And just relax. This is not a stealth message on tithing or giving. Okay, so y'all can just relax, all right? Because you know what? Jesus gets your heart. He doesn't have to worry about your wallet, okay? We're talking about heart issues here. And so Mary realizes that it's worth it, and she pours it all upon the feet of Jesus. I think the thing that is significant is that her public action reflected the reality of her soul. And we do that when we worship, when we talk about Jesus, how we think and talk to others, how we live our lives. Our actions reflect where our soul is. Isn't that true? How we respond, how we react in tough times reflects the reality of our soul. Her soul was deeply affected. Her affections, her heart loved Christ. And here she did something in a very tangible way in giving something a year's worth of salary would have purchased this perfume. And her example shows us what a right response to Jesus looks like. You see, people that love Jesus Love extravagantly, not just to Jesus, but he loves God's people. He loves God's church. He loves the things that God loves. And they do it extravagantly. Mary did this generously and extravagantly. You know, it made me reflect and think, when was the last time I gave something extravagant, something above and beyond, something that was costly to me? And like I said, you can relax. This is a, we don't have uh, building pledge cards uh, the ushers have or any. You can just relax because here's the deal. So many times we have made the emphasis upon money, and money's probably the most tangible item, right, that, that reflects our heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, okay? So that's probably the most tangible thing. But you know, Jesus wants more than our money, because sometimes people can give money and think they've done it and given it all, when Jesus, again, he wants you. He wants a full heart. He wants your affections. He wants your full life. He wants your time, your talents, and your treasures, all right? He wants all of you. He's purchased all of you. And so we demonstrate our love for Christ, but I believe that the answer to all these things is wrapped up in what is our priority. You know, there's a great kingdom principle that you know, and I trust that you know, and it's in Matthew 6.33. Jesus said, but seek first. That's a priority, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you read that, that's in the sermon Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. In other words, he's saying, 
One of my favorite words, and those of you that have a machinery engineering background, you know this word well, calibrate. 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 Calibrate your life. Get it in sync. Because if you don't calibrate a particular machinery or something, and you just kind of ignore it over time, guess what? You will begin to see the fruit of that neglect in how you're using that machinery. All of a sudden, what was supposed to be calibrated to go in a straight line over time, you won't notice it right away. You won't notice it going off center, but over time, guess what? You All of a sudden, you think, how did I get way over here? How did I get so far where I'm just, I just feel like I've just, you know, God has abandoned me. Listen, God didn't go anywhere. God hasn't gone anywhere. Get your life, Christian, calibrated. And Matthew 6, when you begin to seek first, are you seeking first? Mary's priority was her love for Christ. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything she had to probably contemplate because here was a great opportunity for her to give generously this wonderful gift to Jesus. Mary gave extravagantly. But notice, secondly, Second observation principle is that Mary's gift is an illustration of grateful humility. Grateful humility. Let's look, look at verse 3 again. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet. Twice he mentions his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. That's an act of great humility because you know whose job it was in a in a household or in that culture to wash the feet of somebody? That was the job of a slave. That was the job of a servant. And she was giving herself in great act of humility. What's interesting is next week will uh, or maybe the week after depending <laughs> depending on uh, uh, where I'm at and uh, going in John. But Jesus, you remember when Jesus wanted to demonstrate about him being a servant? What did he do? He washed the feet of his followers, his disciples. And you remember what was their response? At least Peter, no way. No way. Why? Because that was such a lowly, common thing. And if there's anything that... Peter's going to stand, like, I'm not allowing you to do that. Remember what Jesus said? If you don't allow me to wash your feet, if you don't allow me to serve you, you can have no part with me. And I love Peter. He just goes from one extreme to the other. Then you know what? Give me a bath. Pour it on my head. I mean, he doesn't mess around, right? <laughs> but, you know, here's what's fascinating, guys. Jesus, and we'll, we'll see a scripture here in a minute, but you know what's interesting is Jesus teaches this lesson to his disciples, but before the guys got it, and even then I'm not sure they got it, who's teaching the lesson? A woman. A woman. Amazing about women in the Bible, isn't it? They were the first evangelists of the resurrection, right? I mean, so many times, it's the men that are hard-headed in getting what Jesus is doing. Mary was tracking right away. She understood right away. And before the guys could get the lesson, Mary is giving the lesson of what being a servant is. And the Bible says also that she didn't use a towel, but she wiped the Lord's feet with her hair. 
You know, again, in that culture, it was not, it was not a good thing for a woman to let her, um, uh, 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 her hair, uh, to let her hair down in public. Uh, there was some culturalism uh, that, that a, mar- that a uh, woman who let her hair down in public was a sign of, a, of an immoral woman. But guess what? She was caught, so caught up in the moment. You ever been caught up in worship? Probably, and again, I'm not talking about anything weird, okay? I'm not talking about any out-of-body experiences or anything like that, all right? I'm not talking about anything weird. But you're, you're less conscious of yourself. So many times people who engage in, and I realize there's a lot of churches, different traditions when it comes to like raising hands, and that's not a test of salvation, but it is a biblical thing, right? It is a biblical thing. And so many times pride disengages our heart because we're so worried of what people are going to think about me acting, doing that. Well, here's a news flash. They're not thinking about you that much. Hello? They're not that preoccupied about what you're doing. Mary was not overly concerned about cultural tradition. She wasn't concerned about what people would think. You know what? She's in the moment with Christ. What a great example. And again, do we live there? No, we can't live there all the time. But we need those moments. I need those moments where I'm at the feet of Jesus. And in some essence, I'm less conscious about, well, you know, I got this to do. You ever find that you do that when you set aside time to pray and you're going to read the scriptures, you're going to get quiet before the Lord, and within a nanosecond, you realize, oh, I got to call the bank and take care of that. Oh, I, I got to go out and check. Did I leave my, did I leave my inner light on in my car? You, you're like, you know, do I have to defrag my computer? I mean, you're thinking about the most worthless things. That's a computer geek uh, line for some of you. Uh, I mean, all of a sudden, all this in <laughs> lack of priority things just start flooding your mind. When you begin to set your priority and say, I need, I'm taking time to sit at the master's feet. That's why it's good to get somewhere isolated. Now, Frank, I think Frank's out there by the door, but I love Frank oftentimes talks about going to work early and sitting for 30 minutes or so in his truck where he reads the Bible, where that's his quiet time. Whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do, find a place that you can spend time with Christ, Mary treasured Jesus more than her pride. But notice thirdly, observation in this passage this morning. Mary's gift is a rebuke to self-centered religion. John is uh, the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John that we call it. Uh, if you notice and remember, he loves to contrast things. And one of John's biggest themes that he makes contrast to that we see in Scripture is light and darkness, light and darkness. And you see that theme of light and darkness. You know, Jesus came into the darkness and the light. He was the light. I mean, all through John 1 and other places. And so he's always contrasting something. And he makes contrast. Don't miss this. One of the things that's important for the, those of you that are serious about your Bible study, is to be good observers, to make observations. So many times we just read through something, and then I go back, and I'll point something out. You're like, wow, I've been reading that for 10 years, and I never saw that. Well, slow down. 
slow down. Put your read through the Bible in a year little chart up and read less and learn more. Right? How many times? I've done it. I've done it many times. I'll read through a chapter. I'll read through And I literally, it's like the Holy Spirit says, you have no idea what you just read. Because the whole time you're thinking about it, you read it. But boy, I'm going to make sure that little box is checked. Right? No, 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 no. Look, if that's how you are guided, great, great. But don't get in bondage to that. Remember, all those little guides, they're to serve you. You don't serve them, okay? Let that set some of you free, all right? So slow down, slow down, let it marinate, think about it, look at the words, read it. What I love to do is I like to read things in two or three different versions. I like the New King James, the ESV, the New Living. I like to compare the different, and if you are into the languages, that's even better, okay? So my point is, is that there's something here when John wants to make a contrast between Mary and he introduces or brings in Judas Iscariot. We all know about Judas. You know, people don't name their kids Judas, do they? At least normal people don't. Look at verse 4 through 6. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, let you know who we're talking about, he gets real religious, doesn't he? Why was this fragrant oil not sold for the 300 denarii? He knows how much it's worth, a year's worth of wages, but he says, and given to the poor. That sounds better, doesn't it? That sounds a little better. That's a softer landing. And then John, who's writing this, inserts a little commentary. And he said, not that he really cared for the poor, because he was a thief. He was a crook. He was a liar. I mean, you can just kind of add it in there. And he had the money box. Now, don't let that slip by you. Nobody knows about... See, John's writing that little insert of verse 6, he's writing that after the resurrection. He's writing that after all that has happened in the timeline of Jesus. Because at the time, do you think they would have let him handle the money box if they knew he was a crook? Huh? So what does that tell you? Judas looked pretty good. In fact, he looked really good. So much so, so trustworthy and wise that they said, Judas, we're going to let you be our treasurer of the Jesus movement. But John says, we did a little audit after he died, and it says that we found out he was taking out money, what was put in it. I remember as a kid, the church that I was in, we would, um, we, I went to a Christian school that was a part of this church, and we would have conferences. And sometimes during the daytime, we were, uh, we were allowed to attend the day part of the conferences, which we all liked because that meant we didn't have to do schoolwork. So we got to go into some of the day sessions or whatever. And they would oftentimes recruit students uh, to help take up the offering. And so I remember one time myself and two or three of my friends or whatever, 
took up the offering, and we had a special room in the back. It was a church of three or 4,000, had a special security room in the back. And, um, and as they were taking the offering, and back there where you counted it, and everything was done in a secure way, uh, one of my friends took his finger and flicked a 20 on the floor and reached down and picked it up and put it in his pocket. And I thought, hey, I ought to do that. So I flicked my finger. That 20. I put that 20 in my pocket, and it was like I put a lighter, lighted, lit in my pocket. I couldn't get that out of my pocket fast enough and put that back. Judas had no problem stealing. He had no problem stealing the Lord's money. So that gives you a little idea. See, Judas sounded really religious, but when in fact... He was a hypocrite. Now look at Mary. You see, Mary, on the other hand, she viewed her possessions as an opportunity to love Jesus. Isn't that great? I mean, you take this one guy, he's a scoundrel. Don't follow him. That's a warning. Look at Mary. She could be trusted to use the resources God blessed her with. And oftentimes the Lord will... Remind me, can I trust you to use the resources I put in your hand, the blessings I put in your hand, can I trust you to use them for my purposes? You know, there's a scripture that sometimes people with a certain emphasis in their teaching on giving and finances, they overemphasize Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. Now, I intentionally have half of the Scripture up there. And we love to, I say we, whatever. Uh, and it is truth. I mean, it's not denying the truth of it. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. And we just, boy, amen. Come on, you can give me an amen. That's good, amen. right? But you don't finish reading the whole verse. Put the rest of it up there. That He may establish His covenant... Why has he given you power to be a good businessman, a good, a good entrepreneur? Why has he blessed you financially? Because he uses you in order to establish his covenantal purposes through your life. I mean, listen, I doubt there's anybody here that's born again that would love to be able to give $100,000 to fund a project in the DR or just some, a need or something, and you just say, you know what, there's people God has gifted in the body of Christ. There's a need, and they'll say what? They'll say, you know what, just tell me what it is. I'll write a check for it. Don't worry about it. And some of the greatest stories of giving are people that you and I will never hear of because, again, they did it as unto the Lord. I worked at Phoenix Seminary in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, and, uh, and part of my responsibility was to, in the development and marketing, was to see sometimes the large gifts that were given. And uh, the owner of the Phoenix Suns gave money, and Bill Gaither, I remember one time getting, you know, seeing a check from Bill Gaither. I mean, so it was, and there were some people that gave large sums of money uh, to this school. And Many times, most of the time, they didn't want any public credit for it. 
That wasn't the point. They were just generous givers. And I found that people that are generous givers, guess what? God can bless them with more. Now, like I said, this isn't, don't get hung up on, because there's been a lot of abusive teaching about money and giving. But listen, that's a kingdom principle. Give, and it shall be given unto you. That's a kingdom principle. And if we're stingy, it's not a heaven or hell issue. You can still wave, we'll wave at you in the rapture. I mean, you know, that's no big deal, right? But God blesses people that he can trust that he may establish his purposes in his kingdom as a funnel that aren't going to hide it and hoard it. Remember the parable that Jesus taught about the various talents and he rebuked the one that had the one and just hid it in the ground? He didn't do anything with it. Mary gave generously. She understood the principles of the kingdom. Here's something I just want to put in here. I didn't know where to fit it in, so I just put it here. And it almost could be a separate principle, but it's not. And it's in John 12, 3, something else that's in there, that when she broke this uh, oil open, the Bible says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And I thought, can people smell the fragrance of Christ in your life? When you begin to spend your life for Jesus, can they smell the fragrance of Jesus and His importance in your life? You say, what does it smell like? Well, I think Galatians 5 is a good place to start about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does your life have that fragrance? Does your home have that fragrance? Or is your house chaos? When people come in, you ever gone to somebody's house and you make you say, wow, it just it seems so peaceful here. There's people that come to this church and this is just the Lord's doing. They come and they don't know, they just say, boy, it just it seems peaceful here. And I believe that's because the majority of you are peaceful people in Jesus. And I said the majority of you. I don't put me always in that category. I'm not always the most peaceful. But you, you hear what I'm saying? Our life exudes the fragrance of Jesus. Now, this may sound like a little funny illustration, but I had a friend who was a missionary in Korea. And this is no knock of Korea. It could be anywhere around the world. I'm sure it works the other way. And, you know, oftentimes in different cultures, and I'm sure, again, it happens in our WASP, white Anglo-Saxon, whatever you want to call us, right? I'm open to whatever label. Just call me Christian. That what you eat in your diet oftentimes exudes from your pores. And so there's been times I've traveled and this person that you get in a tight environment like on a train or whatever and there's a certain thing in their diet and maybe other issues in their life and guess what? What you're digesting, here's the point, what you're taking in will eventually seep out. You know, if, if onions and... I don't know how to get into that because... I'm going to get some of y'all hungry, and, and I, always, I always mess some of you up. You see, what we take in 
Remember when the disciples were criticized by the Pharisees and they didn't ceremonially wash their hands? And they said, hey, your disciples don't. It wasn't that they were being unhygienic. It was that they didn't follow a certain religious ceremony that the Pharisees had created. And Jesus said, it's not, it's, it's not what goes into a man that corrupts him. It's what it, it, it's, it's, a, it's what it reveals of the heart. You see, it's what comes out of the heart that shows his corruption. And so Mary had a heart that was full of Jesus. And that's the reason this public expression wasn't a big deal. Because it only, and to her, she said, if I would have had a thousand denarii of perfume, I would have given that as well. I'm sure if we were to ask her one day in heaven and interview her, she said, my only regret was that I only had that to give. I would have given more. People who come to this church, I hope they smell the sweet fragrance of Jesus among us. But the last principle that I would note here in this passage is that, and this is, helps us as we make a transition, Mary's gift is a reminder of Jesus' impending death. Throughout the Gospel of John, John loves putting in, John, remember we talked about this in the first uh, message we gave where we said you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are oftentimes called the synoptic Gospels. They kind of follow a very similar timeline. Not exactly, but they, they tend to, uh, if you think about it this way, they're, they're kind of, uh, imagine the difference between a video recorder of the life of Jesus. John is more of a PowerPoint snapshots. He's not trying to follow a chronological event timeline. John, remember the purpose of John? John 20, 31, these things are written so that you may believe. John has an intent and a purpose. It's a, it's a purpose to persuade people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So John oftentimes puts a lot of markers throughout his book that are, again, just pointers and markers pointing to the significance of Jesus as Messiah. Remember, the very, there are seven signs that John emphasizes throughout the Gospel of John. It isn't that he only did seven signs, but seven, and those seven signs, the turning water into wine, that was the first one, uh, and I think uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, I think that was the fifth sign. In other words, what he's doing is he's just using all these different clues and, and pictures to point to the theme, okay? And so here in this observation that Mary's gift is a reminder of the coming death of Christ, throughout we see seven markers here. Now, if you have your uh, insert, your outline, I have them all in there. They're not going to be on the screen. So I just have them in your outline there, uh, the insert, just for time's sake. Clue number one is in verse 53. It says, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. What, what, so the death of Jesus, <laughs> he's going to be crucified. He's going to be put to death. John puts that in there. The second clue, it says that after following the sacrificial gift of Mary, we see that... Uh, 
the chief priests uh, issued a, a death warrant for Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was symbolic of, of, the, of the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The third little clue in here that points to Jesus' death is in verse 1 of chapter 12 when he mentions the Passover. What is the significance of the Passover? Passover was when each Jewish man brought a lamb into Jerusalem once a year to be offered as his atonement or for an atonement of, of sin. It didn't take away sin. It only covered over temporarily. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb that would take away the sin of the world. But here again, you see a little uh, hint here pointing to Jesus' death. There's another little clue involving Lazarus, clue number four, that he was the one, it says in verse 9, that he was the one that Jesus raised from the dead. And Lazarus was, a, again, an example of ultimately what, would, what Jesus would do when he was raised from the dead. Now, Lazarus did eventually die forever. Jesus didn't, okay? But it points Again, as a, as a little snapshot, the fifth clue is the very gift that Mary brought. This is important. That gift, it, that spikenard, is an, is, an, is an ointment that was used as a burial spice that was used in the preparation of a dead body. Remember Jewish tradition buried the body by sundown? And so part of the preparation, they did not embalm. That was an Egyptian thing. So they, in the burial process, they would often prepare the body with spices to practically, to one, provide a, an anointing of the, the body, which I think tells a little bit about the Jewish view of death and burial of the human body. But it also provided a a practical means that as people were coming around, because we know what did, what did Martha tell Jesus when he wanted to open the tomb on the fourth day to, to go in with Lazarus? Remember what she said? Jesus, it's the fourth day. And we talked about the significance of the fourth day. But she said, Jesus, the fourth day, his body, there's a stench. That's just the decay, dust to dust. But this gift had a picture of, I think, a snapshot of the very ointment and oil that when a person died was one of the perfumes and spices that were placed on the body in preparation for Jesus. And you kind of wonder, did Mary know that? Well, Jesus said that she had kept that oil in preparation for his burial and you think, well, how did she know that? Well, here's a suggestion. Every time you see this Mary, there's a couple of other Marys. Of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. But every time you see this Mary, where do we kind of see her within, when she's with Jesus? At his feet. I think Luke 10 is a, another example of where we see this. And could it be that the reason Mary was a little bit more in tune with what was going on with Jesus, could there be a connection to the fact that she spent time at the feet of Jesus? Some of you struggle to know what God's will and purpose for your life is. Here's a little secret. Spend time at the feet of Jesus. There's no other way. 
There's no other way. And guess what? She was way ahead of those 12 disciples. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? How did she know? I think it was, you could say, well, revelation, divine revelation. But I think it was spending time at the feet of Jesus. Look at the sixth little clue on your outline. Verse 4, and that's Judas. This is verse 4, that Judas would betray him. Less than a week away, Judas would give him the kiss of betrayal. And then there's the seventh clue, and that's verse 8, when Jesus said, for the poor you have with you always. He wasn't slighting the poor, but he was making a distinction and putting Judas's phony baloney religiosity in its place. He said, the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. In other words, I'm not always going to be here. So take advantage of the time that I'm with you. You see, he reminds us that Jesus came to lay his life down as the perfect sacrifice and sin sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Jesus was that gift. He said, you're not going to have me with you always. The Bible says in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave you want to see an example of a giver? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not sin, did not give His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There's one final little lesson here, and it's not really a point. It's just something worth pointing out. It's interesting that Matthew and Mark... Uh, have uh, in Luke, they, they note this same event in a different setting, a different way, because they have different purposes and plans for their writing. But Matthew and Mark quote Jesus saying something about Mary that John doesn't. And it's in verse 9 of Mark chapter 14, 9. Jesus makes a statement of what Mary had done. This is Mark's version. When he says, Assuredly, I say to you, Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Not what she thought, not what was in her heart, but what she did. Faith, empty of works, is dead faith. Faith is manifested by obedience. And he says, here we are over 2,000 years from when this happened, and who are we talking about this morning? He didn't say that about Peter, John, and Judas, unfortunately, in a whole different way we talk about him. But Jesus noted this woman. I love he says, guys, leave her alone. That's probably a nice way that we might have said it. Over there acting all snippety and critical. And, you know, people do that, right? I want God. You know, there's something that really have to be careful of. And I, I'm one of the worst at it. Is a critical spirit. So many times I'll be critical at somebody for something. And just think, yeah, look at what happened to them. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you might have done worse. Don't be so quick. The judge. These guys were critical 
And they made it all pious and religious. Oh, just look what we could do with that money to help the DR and help Lighthouse. And oh, just blah, 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 blah. He said, leave her alone. Sometimes that's a good word to give somebody who's just giving of themselves to Jesus. Hey, leave them alone. Let God sort it all out. Just leave them alone. As they, you don't know their heart, and I don't know their heart. And so here's the lesson, guys. You want to be remembered? Don't build buildings and monuments for Jesus. Build love for Jesus. You know what? You, you want to be remembered? Build that which is important to Jesus. Invest your life in the kingdom of God. In the things that Jesus said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, not just going out and jumping in traffic for Jesus, being an idiot. It says, whoever loses his life for me, because they're putting me first, and for the gospel, will save it. The bottom line that I remember many quotes, not sure all who originated it, But it says, soon this life, soon this life will be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray.